Do you find yourself saying you're too busy for Bible study? No more excuses. Now there's a way for you to participate in a 30-minute study from your phone, tablet, or computer from anywhere around the world. Aaron Olson of Sandalfeet Ministries teaches lunchtime lessons via Facebook Live every Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time at facebook.com slash sandalfeet. This podcast is recorded during the Facebook Live event for those who'd like to listen to the teaching again or help out in case you miss a week. So grab your lunch, your Bible, and a notepad before we begin. If you'd like to get Aaron's teaching notes, you can visit sandalfeet.org and click on Books and Bible Studies to see all the available free Bible study material. Hey, thanks for listening today, and we hope you tune in each week for Lunchtime Lessons. to lunchtime lessons. Um, we are on chapter three already of Titus. Um, I don't know about you, but I've said this before, but time flies by. It's already been, this is the third week and now we're in the final chapter of Titus. I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this as I was uh, finishing preparation for this morning's lesson. And sometimes I think, even for myself, you know, at, at Christmas time, we tend to fall prey to this and maybe at Easter, but we look at the stories, maybe perhaps in the Gospels, and we think, we've heard that story. We've heard the birth of Jesus Christ story how many times in our life? Or we've heard the death and burial and resurrection story of Jesus. How many more times do we need to read it or hear it? But it's just amazing that every time we read Scripture, it's relevant. And I know that this chapter or this book in the Bible titled Titus is super short, three chapters. And if we're not careful, we could have a tendency maybe to um, read it really quickly. I mean, we could read an entire book of the Bible in just a short period of time, and we could put that on our social media and say, I am a super woman or super person today, superman, because I read an entire book of the Bible today. Um, because that's how quickly we really could read through Titus and maybe or maybe not glean anything important from it. But in its reality, God deemed this letter to Titus to be so important that it's included in the Word of God. The thing that's sealed from Genesis to Revelation is sealed up in this Bible, and that includes this short three-chapter letter to Titus. And as I was thinking about this chapter today, I really thought, man, I could be standing up in front of any church in America, perhaps somewhere else around the world, and make this personal. I could, instead of addressing it to Titus, I could address it to name your church, um, name your pastor, name whomever. Um, this could be written today. We, as a church, as a Christian body, we need to be continually reminded of what it means to be sinners saved by grace and what that salvation means for us. And in this book, this letter to Titus, Paul is very clear on that. And I've said this before, but Paul is so consistent in his message. And that's a warning and an instruction for all of us. We need to be consistent in our message. We need to make sure that what we're saying, when we're speaking to one group of people, we're speaking to another group of people. The same things he wrote to Timothy, he wrote to Titus. And the same things he wrote to Titus, he wrote to, you know, the church in Corinth. And, and so his message was always consistent. Now, these, this letter in particular, Titus, was written to the very early baby church in Crete. We've talked about that in week one of this lunchtime lesson. 
because it was a baby church. It wasn't very strong in its foundation and they needed these instructions, but these instructions carry on because we all need them today. We need to know what it means. How do we participate in the church? How do we participate in our homes? And how do we participate in the world? And that's exactly what Paul did in this short three chapter letter. In chapter one, he wrote about um, how doctrine and duty, how that looks in the church. He wrote about doctrine and duty in our homes, both for men and women, slaves and free. And he wrote uh, in chapter three, what it looks like, what our doctrine, what our duty looks like in the secular world. And that's hard because we all live in a secular world. Not one of us lives in an uber Christian environment where once maybe we did or once maybe we thought we did, uh, we don't. The supreme, perfect Christian world will not exist until we get to heaven. So until that time or until Jesus returns, we will live in a secular world. And what are Christians to do in that context? And this is what we address in chapter three. So let me pray and then we will get into reading of scripture. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you that uh, we had no technical difficulties today. Uh, thank you, Lord, that I was able to um, get online. And Lord, I pray that uh, people are able to clear their schedules for these next several minutes that we spend together. Lord, we know that your word is so important. It's purposeful. Lord, it teaches us, it corrects us, it rebukes us and reproves us. Lord, it gives us direction. It helps us see where things are right and things are wrong. And so Lord, I just pray that Lord, as we try to exist in this world, in society, um, sometimes inherently not Christian society, what does that look like for a Christian? And for those who might be listening, Lord, that aren't yet Christians, who haven't fully yet committed their lives to Christ, Lord, I pray that they would see what a Christian should look like in their lives. Lord, I pray that they would see what they could become because of grace and salvation and trust in you. Lord, so we just offer this up to you. I pray that the Holy Spirit, Lord, has his way in these moments, regardless of what I've prepared. Lord, that as your word is spoken, that truths are revealed and hearts are convicted and changed for the better. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me start out. This is just uh, 15 verses, so we're going to read it through. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many, lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone, not just some in the church. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. 
After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. I am planning to send either Artemis or Tychus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at Nicolopolis, for I have decided to stay there for the winter. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others, then they will not be unproductive. Everybody here sends greetings. Please give my greetings to the believers, all who love us. May God's grace be with you all. I mean, that's just a beautiful sentiment there. It says what we should do. And remember that um, Paul moves from the inner circles of our closest contacts, that would be our church and our home, to the outer circles of secular society. He starts here and he says, remind the believers, remind them. When he says remind them, it means it's already been said. He's already done this. Remember, this isn't the first church in Crete. This is a new church in Crete. So sometimes we need to be reminded of things. And that's exactly what Bible study does for us. If we forget um, to read our Bibles or if we fall off of going to church for a while, we can quickly forget and we need to be reminded to not be forgetful. Scripture warns us so often about remembering the good things that the Lord has done, remembering God's laws, remembering God's will, um, remember to be obedient. Those things are repeated over and over and over in Scripture because if we're forgetful, we forget who God is and what God does. And so at the at that outset of it, he says, remind the believers, remind them, because these are new believers, remember. And so the island of Crete in 67 AD had been taken over by Rome. And so the people of Crete weren't very happy with that. And there was unsettledness and they were, you know, they were kind of revolting and pushing back against the Romans. And Paul was saying, listen, Christians, you need to submit to the government and its officers. Why do we submit as Christians to our government and our officers, even if they're not Christian? It's because we have to remember that God put them there in the first place. In Romans chapter 13, Paul talked about this. He addressed it in the letter to the Romans. He said in verses one to seven, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So he's basically saying, listen, remember, remember Christians that just because you're Christians now and just because you're followers of Jesus doesn't mean that you can push back against government. That's not our job, right? We're not here to do societal change. We're here. The gospel changes people. It doesn't change societies until it changes people. So what we Christians have to do is we have to submit to authority, our governing officers and rulers, as a way to express our submissiveness to Jesus and God our Father. It's kind of a perfect picture of what it looks like. We submit to the will of the Father. The will of the Father has placed that person in that position. We don't always understand why. Um, why are some nations governed by just cruel, heartless, hateful people? We don't know, but sometimes he uses those people who are in that nation Christians 
to win over the rulers, right? By our actions, by our deeds, by the way that we respond. And so when we respond negatively to the rulers and authorities and encourage others to respond negatively to encourages and, and to authorities and rulers, then basically we're saying that, listen, we don't submit to anybody, including God, because God put them there for a reason. Oftentimes throughout scripture, we see that God put people in places of authority to reveal our sin, um, to dish out justice, um, to expose our wickedness, to expose our disobedience. Um, so we don't know why God places everybody in there for a reason. Sometimes he places wicked rulers in there so that their hearts can be so dramatically transformed that it transforms an entire nation, not just one person. So when we respect our rulers and authorities, we are in fact first respecting God because he is in control. When we say that uh, political voting systems and things like that, I won't go into that any further, but things like that, um, if we say that uh, you know people are born into things, when we say those sorts of things, we actually just negate the sovereignty of God. And we really need to be careful with that um, because God is in control. If we doubt that, what else do we doubt? So we need to make sure that it's God who puts them there and that we respect them. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Okay, let me, let me just step back though and say there's a diff difference between an unconditional allegiance to a state and obedience to rulers and authorities. When, for instance, um, in, in past centuries, we've seen where really wicked rulers would come in. I'm thinking, you know, in England when um, Bloody Mary, Queen Mary was in existence, for instance. She was so hateful to Christians that she wanted them to recant their beliefs and bow down to a certain faith, to bow down to that law. And, um, and if they didn't, they were punished by death. Now that is inherently against the word of God. That person, if they would say that their allegiance then was to the state, um, to the queen of England, as opposed to the allegiance of God who says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so when those things are in conflict, we have to be willing to be obedient to God's will um, because that's the most important thing. If we recant our faith, for instance, then we're going against God and we will be persecuted. The Bible is clear on that. We will face trials and tribulations. We will be persecuted. Um, and if we are persecuted, that's a part of persecution. And, and oftentimes persecution results in death for sadly many people who are faced with that decision to recant your faith or not. And so our allegiance, first and foremost, always has to align with the will of God. Um, we have to be in allegiance with God. Now, on the, on the other side of that, to explain it more fully, when we're talking about going against our rulers and authorities, rulers and authorities will put certain laws in place. Um, lots of things, you know, lots of things that we, that go against the word of God, but we're not necessarily actively participating it. We're doing our best to get it out. We might be praying for that. We might be encouraging people um, not to do those sorts of things. But, but the government isn't inherently saying to recant your faith, to say that you believe in this government, that your faith is stronger in your nation than it is in your God. And so Christians, we need to be careful. And that's where it leads into the next part of that verse. Always be ready to do what is good. So if your nation is approving laws that are abhorrent to God's word, 
then what do you need to do? You need to always be ready to do good. You need to be ready to love on those people who are in those life situations. I'm thinking abortion comes to mind, for instance. Our nation is, is, is okay with that. Our laws say it's okay, but many of us are opposed to that because it's, opposed, it's, it's not what God's word says is right. And so we can do our best to try to respectfully move that out of legislation and make that not become law, but we can't become so fixated on that issue that we forget to love those people who are suffering with those issues, whether they're experiencing that and, and maybe so um, numb to God's word or, not, or just not knowledgeable about God's word or have no resources, no help, no assistance, that they think that's their only option. And that we need to love on those people. For those who have who have already done something like that, we need to love on those people. We need to say, listen, God forgives all of our sin. He can forgive you. And this is how. And so we need to be always ready to do good. Yes, we can do our best to push things in law. But at the end of the day, laws are only that. They're just laws regulated by man but our love should pour out of the overflow of the love that's in our heart because of God. And Paul will talk about this further in the chapter. But so let's set that straight that, right? I'm not saying that you should believe everything your ruler or authority believes, but that we submit to them because God placed them there and that we try to live peaceable lives. We should be public spirited people. We should be for the people, not against the people. When we start screaming our are, are what we think is right. Um, we're screaming at people because people are the ones that are writing these laws. And so we have to remember that, that we need to be public spirited. We need to be representatives of Jesus Christ. That, um, you know, there's only one instance really in the Bible where Paul walks in, I mean, Jesus walks in and, and really kind of just tears into people. And that's in the temple when he turns over the tables because he was so upset that they were blocking foreigners from coming in to be able to buy offerings, sacrifices. And so we need to be peaceable people. We need to be public-spirited people. We can do more good with a quiet, humble heart than we can with a loud, obnoxious spirit. And so that's how Christians need to be. We need to be quiet, humble servants of the Lord. Um, and then we can maybe do more. So we need to be ready to do, um, we must not slander anyone. We can't talk bad about anyone. We, uh, we have to avoid quarreling. Oftentimes today, it's hard to see who is a Christian, who isn't a Christian, because all the words blur together and they look the same. Um, just hateful stuff. So we can't slander people. We don't know people's hearts. We could think we do, but I mean, unless you know them and spend time with them every day, you don't really know their hearts. You can presume to know their hearts, but we don't. And we need to be careful with that. We need to stop quarreling. We just need to stop it. it we need to stop. Um, instead, he says, what should Paul, Paul tells Titus? They should be gentle and they should show true humility to everybody. We win over more people when we're kind to them and we love them humbly than when we yell at them and tell them we're going to, they're going to hell. Um, that's just not, there's a, there's a place and a time for brimstone and fire, but in our everyday lives, we have to love people right where they are and right where we are. Um, and why? So he talks about this. He says, why? Um, salvation is what changes and motivation, motivates a Christian because he saved us. And we're going to talk about that next. And it's such a beautiful picture. So in verses 3 to 8, he explains why Christians can have a social conscience and how they can behave in public life. There's kind of six things he covers here. And this is going to go further in my notes if you want to look at them online and later today. Um, there's, it's an, 
six ingredients of salvation. It's need, it's source, it's ground, it's means, it's goals, and it's evidence. So those are six areas of salvation. Why do we need it? Um, in verse three, it's a need. We need to look differently than people who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, disobedience leads us to separation from the Father. He says here, once too we were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. We were foolish, we didn't know. The Bible talks about those who don't know, that don't have knowledge. Um, they're foolish, um, not because they, they want to be disobedient, but just because they didn't know, they didn't care to take the time. But then there's also those others who are plain disobedient, the ones that say, I'm not gonna like Jesus, I'm not gonna love him, I'm not gonna submit to him, I'm not gonna believe in God the creator. Those are disobedient people. Um, so there's both, they're both categories, we've been both. Um, we were misled and became slaves to many less than pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. That's what a non-Christian should look like. Paul talks about this out of personal testimony, right? He didn't like Christians. He was okay with saying yes to killing them. Um, he hated them because of what they were speaking for and living for. Um, not to mention whatever else he did. I mean, he was a very powerful guy before he became a Christian. And so, uh, you know, he was evil and, and envious. And, and if you know anything about... Um, the way that you know culture works is that you're always trying to push somebody down so you can get up the ladder fastest so when you're on that fast track you're not helping anybody else along you're pushing them down the ladder so you can be at the top of the ladder the ladder's top is super small and there's only so much weight that's afforded that top ring and so if too many people are up there it's not good and so when we're outside the will of god and when we're not christians that should be what we look like. We should look like we're pushing people down, we're envious, we're hateful, we're quarrelsome, we're all of those things, but what we should be as Christians as encouraging. We should make more room on the ladder. We should give the top ring to somebody else, maybe even, because maybe it's their time to shine and it's what God has asked them to do. So we should look different. But, he says in verse 4, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, when he revealed his kindness and love, he revealed it through the person of Jesus Christ. The birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's when God revealed that. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we do. None of us are saved by the things that we do. We are saved by grace through faith, so that no one may boast in the works, right? We are not saved by our works. Our works are produced because of our salvation. Um... And, but it was all because of his mercy. God loves us so much. He didn't have to, but he chose to, right? We can't save ourselves. New age philosophy will tell us that we can, but we can't. Um, but he chose to save us out of his mercy for us. He washed away our sins. Isaiah 118 says that, right? He washed our sins as white as snow. Um, he gives us a new birth. In John 3, Jesus talked about this when he was talking to Nicodemus in that dark alleyway in the dark when Nicodemus approached him because he didn't want anybody else to see that he was talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, that, said these words, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And so he's just confirming here that we get a new birth, we get a new life, and it's through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who God sends to draw us to the Father through Jesus Christ. The Trinity works in perfect unity um, to draw us to him. And 
he washes us clean. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Once we believe in Jesus, we receive the gift, the invitation to receive the Holy Spirit, and that's how we survive. Jesus said, I must go so that someone greater can come. And so Jesus left and sent us the Holy Spirit so that we may each, each one of us, not just some, but each one of us who believe in Jesus Christ can have the access to the Holy Spirit residing within us. Um, and because of his grace, you are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8, um, he declared to us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. And that's its, that's its, that's its goal, right? We are to have eternal life. We have that hope that one day we will be heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ, as the Bible says. And, and that's what we live for. That's our hope. And the evidence, how do we know, how do we know, um, how do we know salvation? And we know it by our works. Have we been changed? Because he saved us. If you started this sentence, because God saved me, I am this now. Or before God saved me, I was, but when God saved me, I am, or I became. You should see a difference before salvation and after salvation in your heart and in the good works that you do. Even if you were doing good works before salvation, many people do great things. They do good things. Um, lots of people I know do great things. But what's the motive for doing good things? Is the motive for doing good things to make you feel better? Is the motive for doing good things um, to pass some time? Is the motive for doing good things to get your name in the paper? What's your motivation? That's the motivation. Oftentimes our good isn't motivated by our good. It's just, it's motivated, motivated by our envious desires or sinful flesh. But when we become Christians, our motivation for good is because God saved us. And I need to be the messengers of that same hope to somebody else who desperately needs to hear it so that they in turn can be saved and they in turn then can go find some people. That should be our motivating factor. And then he moves on. He moves on to these last verses in, um, in 9 through 15. And this is a very personal message. He talks about to Paul. He Well, going back to verse 8 real fast, this is a trustworthy saying. Paul used these trustworthy sayings. He used it five times in the, in the pastoral letters in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And it's the first time he says it here. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings that so all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. It's imperative that we do good. Christians should be known for their good and not for their bad things. We should be known for more good things than not so good things. And we need to tuck that away, and I think this is a thing that we need to be reminded of over and over and over. So when we just try to gloss through a quick book of the Bible like this in, in Titus, um, without really taking that to heart or just sitting on that for a moment and, and asking the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and say, am I doing good? Am I really doing good? Are my days productive? Am I doing good things? What is my motivation? Why do I do it? Um, God, is it, is it to serve me or is it to serve you? Am I serving out of my overflow or am I serving out of my strength? Those are questions that we today can be sitting and pondering um, because these words, it says they're, they're teaching so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. That's all. That's everybody. That's the early church at Crete. That's the, you know, the Christians who lived in the 1600s. It's the Christians who live today in the year 2018. That's for all. That we all need to be reminded to, to do good and why we do good.
So the last verses, chapter uh, verses 9 to 15, it's just a personal message to, just like he did to Timothy, Paul encourages um, encouraged Titus on a few matters. He reminded Titus, don't get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience or Jewish laws. This was what the false teachers were teaching, remember. So he started out talking in the early chapters about um, the false teachers. He told Timothy about the false teachers. They were, you know, arguing about spiritual pedigrees, like who had, who was where on the spectrum. Remember genealogies back then were super important, like only certain families had certain rights to do things. And so he's like, no, no, the gospel's for all, regardless of where you came from, who you are, whether you're uh, a Jew or a non-Jew, whether you're a foreigner or someone who lives here, the gospel is for all people. So it's nonsense to talk about spiritual pedigrees. It still applies to us today, today, right? Like, let's not talk about who holds all these degrees. Let's just talk about the people who are sold out for Jesus. There's no need to compare. There's no need to say um, who is better. There's no need to say what you can and can't do. The gospel's for all, and Jesus commands us to go out and share the faith, and that's what we can all do. Um, and so these things are useless and in a waste of time. Paul's just reminding him, like, listen, you can spin your wheels all day long, but it's you're just wasting time. Time is short. And Paul, I mean, this is nearing the end of his life, right? Uh, he's about to die uh, as a martyr, and um, it's a waste of your time. You have limited time here on earth to to do what God has called you to do, and you better be spending your time doing that instead of wrapped up in all this drama that is in the world. Um, you know, focus on the majors. Focus on the majors. Don't don't focus on the minors, and let's power through and just do what God's called you to do, and that's to do good, uh, to share the gospel, and and to reach people with Christ for Christ. Um, and then he gives a certain warning: if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. Right? We saw that before where people can be removed from the church for a time. You give them a warning, knock it off. You give them another warning, knock it off. And then after that, he's like, forget it. If they don't get right, if they don't repent, if they don't accept the forgiveness that the church is extending or that you're extending, and if they don't have a repentant heart, maybe they've been lost to the world. And maybe you need to set them out in the world and not let them be a part of your community until they've gotten right, until they feel so broken again that uh, they turn to God first and humble themselves before God and confess their sins. And then perhaps if you see uh, their repentance at that point, you can remove them, allow them back in. But if they're not, if they're just there to be quarrelsome and divisive, then they've given themselves to Satan and they're not on the side of God. And they're there to stir up strife. Um, when we're not working to better the church, but only to divide the church by useless quarrelsome things, we're not serving the purpose of God and we're not uniting God's people. We're disunifying them and actually weakening them. And when we weaken people, we give them we give them room for the enemy to put his little fingers in these little holes that we've created. Not that God has created, not that Satan has created, but sadly that we create for other people and for ourselves. So we need to be careful about that. He then talks about uh, sending these uh, Artemis, we don't know anything about him. We don't see him in scripture again, but this, this Tychus guy, Tychicus guy, and he's mentioned in the Bible before, Paul calls him a faithful and dear brother. Uh, and, and these two, um, they were gonna come and so that they could take over for when, um, for when Titus leaves to go meet Paul in this other city. 
And then he also talks about the Zenus, the lawyer. We don't know anything about him either. And Apollos was most likely the Apollos that we've heard about in the other one where people are saying that you like Apollos is preaching or Paul's preaching better. But um, most likely Zenus and Apollos, Apollos were the two people who Paul charged with bringing this letter to Titus. And so when they came, you know, they sacrificed their time to bring this letter to be obedient to Paul and they brought it to Titus. And then Paul's saying, listen, make sure that they have everything that they need to go on their way because they've got some other work to do. So make sure they have all that they need. If they need supplies, make sure they have it and give to them because as a church, we're all together. It's not us against them. It's not this denomination versus this denomination. We as a Christian body, we should work together and we should help others um, in the mission that they're to be, supposed to be doing. So it says our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others, then they will not be unproductive. We don't want unproductive trees. We don't want unproductive fruit trees. We want productive fruit trees, no matter who they are, what their name is or whatever. We want to encourage and, and um, equip all believers to do the good work of the gospel. And then finally, in the last verse, he says, everybody here sends greetings. Please give my greetings to the believers, all who love us. May God's grace be with you all. So he's here like, listen, we're all in this together. Where Paul was, he's like, we all send our greetings. We're all here. We're all for you. We are the church. No matter if we're in Crete, no matter if we're in Ephesus, no matter if we're in Rome, no matter if we're in Corinth, no matter where we are in the world, including today, no matter where we are in the world, we all should send our greetings to one another. Um, we should give greetings to all believers. This letter isn't just to Titus, and it sums it up. We know that it's not just to Titus because he says, please give my greetings to the believers all who love us. Pass on that this is, hello, you know, I want you to know that I'm not just here for the elite. I am not just here for the, the top echelon of the Christian faith. I'm here for all believers. I want you to know that I love you. I'm, you know, I was called as the apostle to help plant churches but I care for all believers. I'm not only gonna to speak to those who are here. I'm gonna to speak to the entire church. And so this gives us confidence, everybody, people that aren't in full-time ministry, people um, that sometimes think that uh, only the pastors maybe have super access to God or that uh, you know pastors are on a, on a, you know, we hold them in higher regard. We, we have respect for them, obviously. But we need to remember that we're all in this together, and um, I want them to know that I love them just as much as I love you, uh, no matter where you, what you do in life, where you stand, and who you, what you, um, what your mission is called to. I love them all. Let them know that. Make sure they know that that I'm talking to them. And then may God's grace be with you all. He says, um, you know, God's grace is not just for one or some; it's for everybody. And so He's giving a blessing upon this church in Crete. He's giving a blessing upon the future church, the, the people today who would read this. May God's grace be with you all. Um, and grace is important. Grace is what changes us. Grace is what motivates us uh, because he saved us, because he loved us, because he had mercy on us. We are part of God's family. And that's why we should do it. We should learn how to live within the church. We should learn how to live within our homes. And we should learn how to live inside of secular society. And we should be the best and brightest lights possible. Our churches should look like these early churches in its correct form, not in its, not in its dysfunctional form. We should take heart when we're looking at this, like how do we build a Christ-centered home? What does it say in 1 Timothy and Titus? And we'll cover next 2 Timothy. 
What does it say to do? And do it. You know, be kind to one another. Be humble. Be servants. Um, you know, be prayerful. Pray for your rulers and authorities. Submit to them. Um, be kind. Do good things. Help people. Don't talk hateful of them. Don't envy them. Don't quarrel with them. But love them and love them well. Um, Jesus said, you know, to love God and then to love others. Our faith is not just about loving God, or he would have ended it there, period. If our salvation was just about God, it would have been a period. But Jesus said, love God and love others. So we can't just do one and we can't just do the other. We have to do them both together to make the Christian faith work well. So I hope that you've been encouraged by Titus. I know it's short, but um, it's packed full of just super helpful information. So if you want, my notes will be up later on my website, sandalfeet.org, and the podcast should be up later today as well. If you um, want to listen to that, you can send it along. If you'd like to subscribe to re receive my blog updates, you can also go to sandalfeet.org and type in your email address. Um, I send out blog updates occasionally. I haven't been blogging as much. I've got a lot going on, but um, I'm also writing a book, so that'll be out soon, but it um, that's taken up some time and teaching, but I love teaching. So if you want to go on and receive updates, you'll also receive an email about uh, today's lunchtime lessons. You can do that. And feel free to share this with all uh, your friends and family and, and whomever you need to. I know that I've gotten great encouragement from some of you about sharing this with others whom you know. And I thank you for that. I thank you for your support and for tuning in. And until next week, we'll um, have a great week and we'll cover 2 Timothy chapter 1. Have a great day.